Empire podcast this week, we consider the fate of the non-player character with Jodie Comer of Free Guy and ask, what if Jeffrey Wright turned up in the pod booth? All this plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has forgotten to write this bit of the script. Well, this is off to a good start. <laughs> Hello, pod. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire podcast. Uh, yes, it is me hosting because Chris has actually been dragged kicking and screaming away from his computer to take some honest to God time off. So I'm afraid you're stuck with me. But never fear because I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal... Sorry, wait, no. It says here that John is out news gathering and um, won't won't be able to join us. Um, but that's okay because I still have two colleagues of... No, sorry, I've just got another text. Ben is apparently ill. Um, get well soon, Ben. Sorry about that. But that's fine. I am joined by one colleague whose lethal cunning will have to be sufficient to make up for the absence of literally all the rest. It's James Dyer. Hi, Helen. It's okay because I'm here. Yay, I guess. How are you? I'm fine. Just You're in the this. office. I am in the office, actually. I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a, I mean, I'd call it a studio, but it is the meeting room adjacent to the Empire office, which is full of archive boxes. So I can barely fit into it. This is actually the size of a broom cupboard, but I'm assuming this will give me good sort of like a audio muffling. So actually a kind of cardboard fort. Hi, lovely. And and Chris is away. He's back in our historic homeland of Northern Ireland, um, where he is busy shopping for Vita Bread. the Giant's Causeway. It. Is he going to the Giant's Causeway? I have no idea, but I just wanted to say that. Because like, I tried to take you both last year just to pull back. You tried to take us up the Giant's Causeway, Helen, did I, you? I did. That's thoroughly inappropriate. Well, you know, you can call HR on me. Um, uh, I did try to take you both to the Giant's Causeway and we didn't have time. But what's worse than that is Chris has been to Northern Ireland, obviously, a lot of times with his beloved wife, and they have never actually made it up there. So I'm really hoping that this time breaks the trend. Um, If people are listening and haven't been to Northern Ireland, Giant's Causeway, World Heritage Site, really worth visiting. Only an idiot would come to the province and not go there. So... Is it in danger of having its its UNESCO status stripped away? No, because it's not run by idiots, unlike some you know places <laughs> in the rest of the UK. So um, yeah. So anyway, it is just the two of us, but let's try and have a podcast anyway. I actually have a little bit of a, a mini collection of questions for us because there were a couple of conversations that I got into on Twitter this week, and I wanted to put them to the whole podcast team. But you're the only one here, so I'm uh-huh. sorry you're stuck um, with it. It's, it's worth pointing out that this is sight unseen. I have literally no idea what these no. are going to be. So think no. of this as kind of a really shit two-person game game show. Exactly You're just going to throw yes. them out there I'm and gonna we're just going to wing it. Yeah. yeah. And I do have a reader question as well. So readers, you are getting a question in, but I just want to put these two to James because Ali Plum, formerly of this parish, asked on Twitter earlier this week, which like Discworld characters would you cast as Marvel characters and vice versa? Or what Marvel characters would you put in... Discworld roles. Now, this is a bit niche. I realise there are people out there who haven't read Terry Pratchett. You're all idiots because <laughs> Terry Pratchett books contain literally everything you need to know about life. But I, I, there are people who have not, who've gone and read Proust or something instead because they think that's, you know, smarter or whatever. Fewer footnotes. So, so for example, obviously, Vimes is Tony Stark. And obviously, you know, Nick Fury is the patrician, veterinary. And obviously, Hulk and Detritus kind of fit together pretty well. And, and clearly, and I know I'm I'm courting stereotype, but I genuinely think this is a good fit. Thanos as death. I don't think that's a That stretch. is a terrible fit. That it's is a, a terrible fit. fit. Snap his fingers, more efficient than a scythe. No. Nope. Yes, 100%. But, but death in Discworld is a 
good guy and don't you even start with saying? me. Don't even start with you me. You see what I'm saying? Nope, Anti-heroics, nope. Helen. Anti-heroics. No, no. De- like death in the disc world is closer to vision. Is he though? Yeah. And 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 here's the, here's the thing. Here's my radical theory. Captain Carrot, some suggested, would be Steve Rogers. I'm going to say Captain Carrot is closer to Thor. Steve Rogers is Granny Weatherwax. Granny Weatherwax? You really... Unswerving sense of morality? Yeah, you're damn right. I mean, unstuck from her own era? Absolutely. Uh, I can totally see that. She understood that reference. <laughs> mm. So you're thinking like Black Widow is like uh, Corporal Angua? Yes. I mean, there's not a lot of variation in Marvel female characters in the way that there is for Discworld characters. Mm, true. So I had real trouble with Granny Weatherwax. I have real trouble with Nanny Og. I was going to say, yeah. So you've basically got Susan Stohelet and Spike and Angua for... Mm all of the Marvel women, and you've got to fit them all in there somehow. I'm going to say Rocket as the death of rats, but he's like the death of raccoons. Okay, so also for him, I have heard suggestions including the librarian. Ook. Ook. And Gaspode the wonder dog. <laughs> and obviously uh, the luggage would be Groot. And see, no, um, see, Groot, I was going to say Jarvis. To be vi- as as the luggage, but yeah, I get it. Okay, Groot is luggage. I am luggage. I can see that. Oh, this is good. I now want to see this made. <laughs> what if Marvel? What yeah. if? Yes. All the Discworld what characters. What if the MCU was in the Discworld? Yes. <laughs> this this should be season two. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Anyway, I did want to run that by you, but I don't want to spend all day on it because I'm aware that, as I say, some people haven't read the entire Discworld backwards several times over. Um, and again, please do consider doing that. Second question that I put on Twitter earlier this week, and I slightly misworded it, so I'm responsible for all the annoying wrong answers I got, right? So I was watching The Firm and I said, is there any other film with a deeper bench of character actor supporting talent than The Firm? Now, here's my thing. I'm not talking movie stars, a deep bench of movie stars. I'm not talking Gosford Park. I'm not talking true romance. I'm talking classic Wilfred Brimley level character actors. Okay. I mean, it's it's pretty rich on them. I mean, who have we got? David Strathairn, Ed Harris. Hank from Breaking Bad. Hank from Breaking Bad. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Hal, Hal Holbrook. Holbrook is in know? that. Yes, yep. absolutely. God, I'm racking. It's been so long since I've watched Oh, yeah. The I mean, I'm not expecting you to list them all. Don't worry. But like, it's about, you know, if you're charitably, you've got two leading men there. You've got Gene Hackman and Tom Cruise, obviously. Gene Hackman is a character actor, leading man, but I'm counting yeah. him as a leading man for these purposes. But that's only two movie stars, two about 11 character actors. Whereas a lot of the time, if you have these deep benches of really good people, it's deep benches of movie stars. Mm. But you are not wrong. Actually, just I've now brought it up on IMDb so I can actually see it. But Margot Martindale, obviously, Dean Norris, you've mentioned. So many good people. Tobin Bell is in this. I didn't even remember that. Yeah, he's scary. That's extraordinary. All right, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a solid play. Well, what what were your like runs up? What other things did you have in mind? Well, like, so a lot of people to? were saying things that are like movie star filled. Like, so I got a lot of Gosford Park. Um, I got a lot of True Romance, Knives Out, things like that. But those are mostly yeah, movie stars who are having exactly. a nice day They're out. Headliners. Yeah. So the ones that I thought were very good answers included JFK, which has some of the same people, but again, huge, huge, huge deep bench of character mm. actors. But it also has quite a lot of movie stars. So it's it's a, it's that ratio that I'm interested in, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So JFK is a pretty good call. Heat is a pretty good call. Mm. Obviously, you've got a lot of character actors in there. And Boogie Nights. And that, again, complicates the question because some of those people became movie stars but were not yet movie stars. So do they count as movie stars? Do they count as character actors? 
It's. I admit the definitions are fuzzy. I don't know. Like the Lord of the Rings films, I feel they they straddle it. Like you've got a combination of sort of like headliners and great character actors in there. Mm. That's a pretty good shout. That is a good uh, Obviously, people, are, you, you look like a great cast. People will obviously kick out The Departed. Those are all headliners, really. A couple of people said 12 Angry Men as well, which is is correct. You know, But then I think there's a lot of those studio-era films where there were the sort of contract players who would turn up again and again. But that is still probably a pretty good call. Um, what else, Helen? I uh, Pleasantville, another good shout. Late 90s job. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, William H. Macy in there. Joan Allen's in there. Jeff Daniels. Oh, loads of good people. I love that film, actually. I also really love that um, Fiona Apple cover of Across the Universe, which plays at the end of that. It's a lovely, lovely sequence. Hmm. I had forgotten that. I will have yeah, to go and look really, it up. Really good. All right. Well, that was my that was my question. We do have a reader's question as well, which I'm going to put to you quickly. Oh, okay. So reader's question comes from Paul Costa at CostYP, who asks, what childhood film would you love to see remade now? Those with amazing mm. stories, but could maybe benefit from better effects, better cameras, etc. A hundred percent Krull. I knew I... you were going to say Krull. And I was like, maybe he won't say Krull. I genuinely had Krull in my head. Really? Yeah. I didn't think you were like that. So, I mean, that's properly, what's that? That's early 80s, isn't it? BD8's mm. film. I loved it. But also, like, if we're talking about like cast, like Krull had a great cast. That's really good people. Alan Armstrong's <laughs> in there. Liam Neeson is in it. Robbie Coltrane is in it. But And, like, and Todd Carty's in it as well. But like, in slightly sort of like low-key roles. I really, really loved Krull. I think that's the first fantasy film. That and, you know, the likes of like Beastmaster and whatnot that, and mm. Hawk the Slayer uh, that I Legend. really kind of engage with and Legend and stuff like that. But Krull, I loved, absolutely loved. I think I saw it in the cinema when it came out uh, and I hired it on, on VHS a whole bunch of times. But there's just something about that. It's like that classic sort of like, and the cr- the Glade, you know, his little frisbee, spiky frisbee it's, thing. I mean, it's terrible, Yeah. It's amazing what he's talking about because he controls it telekinetically, Helen. It's brilliant. I watched it. I watched it in the past few years. It is a bad movie. What are you talking about, Helen? I I put it to you this, that if the church ever wanted to increase the uptake of marriage as an institution, the ability to throw fire from your hands after being married would 100% do it. I mean, as a former lawyer who has occasionally gone into family court, I think that would be a very, very bad thing. Pyrokinesis as an incentive for getting married. Sign me up. Wow. That is a terrifying prospect. Genuinely terrifying. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not going to go and say crawl because like I say, genuinely, I watched it in the last decade. It's amazing. Bad. It's magnificent, Helen. Ergo the magnificent. (sighs) Ergo the something or other. So no to crawl for me. Thank you. But no. I've talked in the past about wanting not a remake, never a remake, but a sequel to The Princess Bride animated with as many of the original cast coming back as voice talent as possible. I would be open to that because then you could actually overcome its complete lack of anything resembling a good effect and just make it awesome. I think that would be fun. Beastmaster, that's not a bad shout, you know. Very few films have enough angry ferrets taking down villains. I would say exactly as many films (laughs) having angry ferrets taking down villains as needed. I don't know which ones need it most. I mean, like Willow is is kind of an obvious one that doesn't get that's come very close to to coming back numerous times. It has, yeah, and of course we've got the TV show on its way. Yeah, quite. And Willow's one of these films where it's a good film, but it is let down by the lamentable effect. So actually, hey, I'll hey, come that's on. It ILM looks at work. Dreadful. You. No, it's not their fault because you know it was the eighties, but the compositing is, shall we say, a little bit obvious. Okay, the the compositing could be improved. Okay, so let's remake Willow. We yeah. still cast Warwick Davis. Sure. Obviously. And Val Kilmer and Joanne Wally. Honestly, can we just 
keep everything as it is and just upgrade the effect shots. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that would be my that would be my mm. ideal. So Willow exactly as it is, not a remake. No mm. one goes back on set. They just do a special edition of the effect shots. Yeah, but Taylor Swift does the uh, does the theme song. Willow, <laughs> she does do the. Bring th- in the oh, Swifties. Yes. Bring in the Swifties. Okay. Honey, you got yes. to think commercial. It's marketing. <laughs> it's marketing. We yes, our great missing demographic is definitely Taylor Swift fans. Yes, life is a Willow, Helen. That's what we want. Life is a willow, yes, and I'm wearing my favourite cardigan or something. I'm I'm just going to say that question's been answered. Yes, definitively. Because otherwise we'll just get into another fight about Kroll, which is a bad movie. A um, if you would like to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, of course you can do so. The best way is definitely via Twitter. We are on there at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we might miss it. Or slide into Chris's DMs uh, and obviously leave him a message there. I'm not sure, is he back next week? Is he back next week? He's not sure because it depends on travel and stuff. Maybe use the Empire Podcast hashtag this coming week. You can also get in touch with this on Facebook where we will definitely not see it. But you never know, in six <laughs> months we might check the, the Facebook page and find your yeah. question. And on email, we are podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time for a guest. And in a break from our usual wittering on about Marvel, we've enlisted someone else to do it for us. Uh, Jeffrey Wright made his name starring in Angels in America on stage and on screen. He played the artist Basquiat to acclaim and has gone on to appear opposite James Bond, George W. Bush and Katniss Everdeen on screen. He is an out-of-this-world actor and this week goes literally out of this world, I'm so sorry, as the all-powerful Watcher in Marvel's What If series. So we sent Chris to catch up with him recently. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the Watcher himself, Jeffrey Wright. How are you, sir? I'm well, I'm well. Good to see you, man. Uh, likewise. Uh, the last time we saw each other was, uh, you, you probably won't remember this, but was in a hotel room in New York waiting for the arrival of No Time to Die. That was December 2019. Still waiting. <laughs> it's been a strange time. It's been a strange time. Uh, these are strange times. Yes, that uh, that's pretty that's accurate. Um, <laughs> but we're you know, we're 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 if all continues according to plan, you know, we'll be out uh, this fall. We'll be out in October. Mm. Absolutely. And, and strange times have led to strange questions. I found myself asking people this more often than, than, than I would like. But uh, how has your pandemic been? How have you how have you coped with it all? Uh, it's been it's been an, it's been a journey uh, and it hasn't been any one thing. Um, it's been productive in some ways. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm not alone uh, among uh, you know, the world's population and saying it's been pretty fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been pretty disruptive and in, incredibly disruptive personally, um, kind of emotionally, professionally to a lesser extent. Um, it, you know, it kind of has put things on pause, but I was pretty active film filming Batman beginning January of 2020. Mm. Then we went on lockdown mid-March 2020, went on hiatus until September, came back to London from September uh, until March, uh, mid-March of 2021. So we worked on that film for over a year with a bit of a pause here and there. And uh, I think we made a brilliant film, um, but the last six months or however much it was, was under some really very tricky circumstances. And of course we ended up, you know, losing a gentleman um, who worked on the film, 
uh, once we went on hiatus um, to COVID. So, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, it was very, uh, very challenging, very challenging environment. And I don't like to complain about making movies. I don't think it's really very um, becoming, um, you know, movie sets are really uh, very uh, hardworking places. Uh, and uh, it's not, you know, there are challenges, um, you know, less so most often for actors and more so for the crew who are always, I'm always in awe at, uh, at uh, you know, the, 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 the work rate of movie crews and people who have never been on a film set would be floored by um, the amount of effort that goes into these things. But doing that um, inside a pandemic, uh, doing that isolated from family, you know, in a hotel that's completely empty, except for maybe four or five others. And, uh, it, and, and then coming to work and COVID tests every day and, and masks and, and really strict protocols. Very challenging, mm. very challenging. I think it was more the isolation than anything that that was challenging it really it really put something on i think all of our heads particularly those of us who were uh you know away from our families and kind of uh you know just going to work and going back to a hotel room it was it wasn't easy does that though foster within that a united spirit amongst everyone that we're all in it together we're all in the trenches here so to speak yeah well it had to uh and i think that's the thing that at least here in the united states we're missing in terms of getting through this as a collective, we're missing this notion of uh, unity that we're all in it together against this pathogen. We've seemed to have lost the lost the plot on that. But when we were working um, on the film, yeah, we were all recognizing, okay, this is our job. We want to be here. You know, we want to do this work. We want to make a living. Um, and in order to do that, we've got to respect the conditions that we're in and we've got to protect ourselves and protect one another and get through it. And we did. And again, I think we made a stunning movie, but we were only able to do that because we were unified and we were, uh, you know, we were about it together and, and fighting for a common cause against a common enemy, you know, uh, maybe we'll figure that out in, in, in here in the United States and in other parts of the world, or maybe we won't. Fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully the tide is beginning to turn. And uh, But obviously, you know, the, that film, The Batman's coming out next year and What If's coming out any day now. You have No Time to Die um, in October, uh, all being well. You're, you know, you have Westworld for the last few years as well. These are all intensely geeky properties, Jeffrey. Are you, is this just a, a coincidence or are you, you know, are you a geek at heart who has found yourself drawn to these it's great writing. All of this stuff is great writing. What if is 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 really interesting writing and it's really interesting exploration of these known universes and known characters and known mythology. Um, so that uh, that was interesting to me. And obviously it's interesting to be asked to be a part of the MCU now, which is um, one of the biggest stages um, in the world, biggest mm -hmm. cinematic stages. And it's also... Uh, what's attractive to me is the passion that fans have for these stories. And I think going back to our conversation about these times and the strangeness of the times and the difficulty in trusting, the difficulty in placing trust in the times and in those that we see around us, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps. Um, I think 
that the passion that fans have for the characters within the MCU is in part because they can be trusted. Um, we can, we, whether they be hero or villain, mm -hmm. we know them, we know them well, and they're going to be who they are and they're going to be as we've known them. They're going to surprise us, but they're going to surprise us within um, parameters that we understand and within parameters that we can find, um, we can place ourselves within, that we can find hope within, that we can, we can actually hold on to ideals about uh, character and about, um, about humanity, even though some of them may not be human. And so that's really, it's really important. This mythology is super important in uncertain times, even more so. So that's what, you know, attracts me to this stuff. And yeah, I guess, you know, there's, there's a certain geekiness in me in certain ways. Um, um, but I also, uh, I've also, it's also been in some ways just by accident. Um, these are the, the, the collaborators that wanted to work with me and they presented me with some, with some great, uh, great work to do. And they happen to be, you know, with Westworld and with, uh, what if they happen to be sci-fi, but sci-fi is, um, is a great window to explore. Yes. The kind of, you know, dynamism of cool, uh, filmmaking and, you know, and, 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 and set to explore and the like, but it's also a great window through which to explore uh, humanness. And even though, for example, in Westworld, I'm, 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 I'm not exactly human, neither am I in What If exactly human, but still these stories are about, you know, about humanity and about our, uh, our powers, uh, our limitations. And, and so, you know, fun stuff, fun stuff to, to, to play in and relevant stuff. With The Watcher, uh, there aren't a lot of watchers around to get in touch with and for research and to ask questions about what do you do when you're observing everything? How does that work for you? So your imagination t entirely runs right here. How do you how do you find a way into into this guy? Yeah, I just tried to find a voice, I guess, in some ways that would, you know, that would echo throughout all the multi, you know, throughout, throughout the entire multiverse, you know? So uh, that was that was uh that's fun that's fun to play with but i think there are a lot of watchers um the fans are the watchers the they're my fellow uh beings observing all of this mm. he is the biggest in terms of physicality but maybe maybe in terms of passion he might be the biggest marvel fan uh uh, you know, in all known universes. And, you know, he's probably got the highest uh, cable bill of, of any of us as a result. <laughs> Somehow I don't think he pays for his cable. I think he's... Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's hacked away around it. Yeah, yeah doubtless. He really he's, he's not on Reddit, for example, just <laughs> writing screeds. He's, he's not doing that. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. He's kind of He's kind of everywhere. At all times, <laughs> you never know, indeed. And uh, and I promise you, Jeffrey, I'm not stalking you. Uh, but I happened to be, and listeners to the podcast are going to roll their eyes now because yes, it's me mentioning the fact that I was at the Endgame World Premiere again. Sorry, folks, but uh, I was at the Endgame World Premiere in LA um, back in April 2019. Now, and uh, I happen to be sitting very, very close to you. 
And uh, I was thinking, wow, this is cool. Jeffrey Wright's, Wright's here. I wonder what that's about. And this was before What If was announced. So was it in uh, your, your was it in your, was it in your horizon? Was it on your horizon at that point? Had you had conversations already about it? Yeah, I had. Yeah. And uh, I was out here, I guess, filming Westworld at the time. And my son was with me. And so, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't, we could not uh, show up at that. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. But yes, I was already in the process of, of, uh, I think we might've, I don't recall, we might have already recorded a couple of things at that point. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was already, I was already at least committed, but you know, I, I think though people ask about, you know, the watcher and, you know, joining now, but the watcher's all always been there. He's always from the start. He's always been there, you know? (laughs) So now he's just, he's just being discovered, but he, he's, he's, he's always had his place. So in a way you were the first person cast in the MCU. In a way. (laughs) As I I say in Star Wars from a certain point of view. And uh, (laughs) without getting too much of the spoilers, the second episode uh, I thought was particularly beautiful. It is obviously focuses on T'Challa and it is dedicated to Chadwick Boseman. And it is, I think, essentially now his his last performance. And uh, I just want to ask you what that what that means and what that means to be involved with with this really lovely, heartfelt farewell to to Chadwick. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. Chadwick uh, played this massive, epic, global hero, and he also played uh, Black Panther. You know, mm. because what we found out was that actually he was doing this really uh, just intensely mythic, epic thing um, quietly. Uh, with dignity, grace, and and uh, and a, and a purpose that was beyond even the stories that he was telling. So yeah, it's really cool to uh, to be a part of this with him. We actually, I I I I, I had been asked to be in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I couldn't do it because I was involved in a in another production, but George C. Wolf, who directed that is obviously a very close collaborator of mine from the yeah. theater. In fact, I don't, I barely work with anyone else if I'm on the on stage. Um, but George and I, uh, you know, worked together first in Angels in America, however many years ago that was, 30 to 20, I don't know, 25, whatever it was, whatever it is, it's a long time ago. Um, and so um, I, I didn't have an opportunity to do, to join uh, Chadwick in that. And so it was a, it was a, you know, a lovely surprise to, um, to, to be able to collaborate, you know, on what is, you know, his last project. And the, <laughs> it's funny because we met at Comic-Con when he was there to, um, to introduce uh, Black Panther. And I was there with Westworld. We, we stumbled onto one another in the bathroom, actually Um, just, just the, the two of us. That was the first time I met him. And he said, he said some really wonderful things. Um, It's funny. I've I've been doing what I do for a long time Mm -hmm. and you and and you, I just go to work and I do it. I try to keep it kind of simple. I try to, I don't really uh, put anything. I don't 
reflect on who sees it, what it means too much, because you can't. I just show up to work. I do what I do. And, and, and then you look up and you go, shit, it's been 30 years of doing this. And he said some things about, um, you know, how my work um, had, had impacted him. And, uh, and I had, you know, I had, it was, it was, I was, it was very meaningful then, you know, in that bathroom, uh, you know, just the two of us as we're washing our hands. Um, but it's, uh, it became even more meaningful when we all discovered, uh, what he was going through. And then, you know, once he, once he passed, you know, so yeah, man, I'm really, I'm really stoked to be, uh, sharing some some space with him in this in uh, episode two of what if absolutely well jeffrey that was a that was a that was a beautiful reminiscence thank you for sharing that with me and uh i wish we could uh we could talk longer about chadwick but sadly my my time is up and uh but it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, uh once again and uh all the best with with everything that's coming up in the future thank you man all right keep thanks following. so much cheers bye-bye all right, time for some movie news now, which, James, you're going to have to explain to me because I don't really understand what's happening. There is a Sonic the Hedgehog sequel in development there and is. Idris Elba is involved. What? <laughs> Idris Elba is playing Knuckles. For those who are not Sonic aficionados, uh, Knuckles was the antagonist of Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Uh, before, as happens with all great villains, he was turned to the good side and he became, uh, you know, like one of the playable characters in like Sonic and Knuckles. And, uh, okay. And is he another using. hedgehog? Uh, he is an echidna. He is an Helen. echidna. He okay. is an echidna. Now, I'm not going to lie and pretend that I knew what an echidna is outside of Knuckles. Like if someone says to me, what's an echidna? I'd be like, oh, it's Knuckles. I, I saw one in Sydney Zoo once, so I believe it to be an Australian animal. It, yeah, it's, so it's basically what would happen if a porcupine fucked an aardvark, you'd get an echidna. Uh, which is like a spiky anteater. Okay, so he's spiky, he eats ants, and he sounds like Idris Elba. And he has a long nose, and in this case, looks like Idris Elba. To be fair, Knuckles the echidna looks absolutely nothing like an actual echidna. He's kind of, like, he's like a red, sonicy type character with like spiky dreads and spiky knuckles, hence the name. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so Idris Elba is going to be him. Idris, of course, can do no wrong, and he is an excellent choice for Knuckles in a film that absolutely no one is crying out for. Nevertheless, Christmas Eve and all that, we shall prepare ourselves to see Knuckles dominate the screen when the Sonic the Hedgehog sequel arrives. Maybe this will be the Paddington 2 of Hedgehog movies. Maybe. You know, we can that had a hope. Knuckles in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe that's what they're going for. God, I hope they do. But but didn't they tease Tails? I believe it's Tails, a fox possibly, at the end of the last one? Uh, Tails, yes. Yeah. So Tails is a fox with two tails, because of course he is. What? Uh, I, I'm really hoping that Tails is killed in this film. So in the third one, they can call it Sonic 3, Tales from the Crypt. That'd be, that'd be good. That'd be, be funny. Yeah, it'd be really good to have a third person about now. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so this is all happening. Uh, ben Schwartz is going to be back as the voice of Sonic. Cool. And I think uh, Jim Carrey is going to be back as well as uh, Dr. Eggman Robotnik. Yes, I remember he was Dr. Robotnik. This is yep. good. I know things about stuff. Okay. So that's a thing that's happening. <laughs> that is a thing. I can confirm that is a thing that's happening. What else is happening in the world of film, Helen? So Marvels, the Marvels, not Marvels, the Marvels. Right, has yes. Has begun shooting. Exciting. So that's exciting. 
that's really all there is to know about that. It's begun shooting, so it's happening. It's going ahead. Yes, I mean, well, Brie Larson is back, back, back as Captain Marvel, obviously. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's going to be back in it, yes, so presumably is. not de-aged this time. Mm. We don't know much more than that. We're, we're assuming that uh, Monica Rambeau, aka Tayona Paris, aka Photon, we think yes. probably Photon. she's had several nom de superhero yeah. <laughs> in her career, but we're hoping for Photon will presumably be back, and and hopefully Ms. Marvel as well. And Zoe Ashton's in this one as well, so... Ooh, as a baddie, goodie? Sure, I, she's, she's going to be a baddie. I love Zoe Ashton. I think she was uh, in Fresh Meat as Vod, genuinely the best thing in that very, very good comedy. Uh, I think she's brilliant. Wait, you like a comedy? Yeah, uh, admittedly, it's uh, it's an aberration in my TV watching. But Good yes, Lord. there are a few things. Of course, listeners to the Pilot TV podcast will attest there are occasional comedies, Helen, where even I crack a smile and Fresh Meat is one of those. Wow. Gosh, it must be good. So yes, yeah, yeah. so Zoe Ashton, yes. Uh, Sarah June Park as well. And of course, Iman Vellani as Ms. Marvel, who is going to be in her Disney Plus series first because that's mm. due uh, sometime next year, early it is, yeah, next it's year. Been, it's been pushed back. It was this year at one point it's now been pushed back okay. to next year but that's no surprise to anyone so first half of next year and then yeah. I will get my Ms. Marvel project happy days okay so it's all you know it's coming along in other news Margot Robbie is going to star in Wes Anderson's next film so we haven't even had the French Dispatch oh yet. oh Helen is that the is that the really whimsical one with the kind of pastel palette is it is it that film no, no, it's the one where people stand dead centre in the screen and look directly at the camera. Ah, oh, my mistake. Yes, mm. I know the one. Yeah, while wearing a variety of slightly vintage-looking clothing. It's going to be amazing. It genuinely is. Like, I love his film, but it, there, is a, there is a style. And, you know, it, it is great that he has a style that works and that he is able to turn to many different things and, and still have it work. So Tom Hanks, we already know, is going to be in this one. Now Margot Robbie has joined him as well. One can only assume that his regular cast will also be back. But certainly we, we believe Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton and Adrian Brody are aboard as well. And that one's shooting in Spain. So that will presumably be the Spanish dispatch, I yeah. guess. <laughs> the Grand Madrid Hotel. I mean, uh, I'm Possibly. just spitballing here. Do you know how you make a film at least 30% better, Helen? How's that? You cast Clancy Brown in any role at all. That is uh, fair. And that is, of course, what they have done with John Wick Chapter 4, which has added the former Kurgan to the cast. I have no idea who he's playing. Honestly, it doesn't matter because he's no. going to be in the film and he's going to be brilliant. I uh, yes. cannot wait to see this. Obviously, Chad Stahelski back in the director's chair for this. I mean, um, I loved seeing him in Promising Young Woman as a really, you know, supportive dad figure. But <laughs> I also love it when he cuts people's heads off with a giant yeah, sword. Absolutely. But yeah, it is really good news. And this is a stacked cast as well, actually, isn't it, for, mm. for Chapter 4? Obviously, Keanu Reeves, but Donnie Yen, Hiroyuki Sanada, yes. Rini Sawayama... Shamir Anderson, Lance Reddick, and Ian McShane, obviously. I mean, this is yeah. this is shaping up pretty well. Yeah, Ian McShane is so getting killed. He is so getting killed. He's, He's going to get the shit killed out of him, mark well, my words. Why would somebody want to kill him? Just because he pushed John Wick off a roof? You think Nobody, that... Helen, nobody pushes John Wick off a roof. I mean, I, I have evidence that suggests otherwise, but okay, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm very excited about that. In other news, I'm very excited about, this is interesting, Gurinder Chadha is working on a Bollywood-inspired Ardman movie. Yeah, this is nuts. I'm super here for this. That sounds amazing. I feel like, you know, animation is beginning to sort of branch out and even Western animation is beginning to kind of embrace a wider range of, of cultures. And I think that's fantastic. What we know about this is that it's a musical. It's going to follow a young Indian elephant called Bodhi from the jungles of Kerala, who has an impossible dream of becoming a Bollywood dancer. Dancing elephants, here for it. Plasticine. 
dancing elephants are what I want to see. They're not really plasticine anymore, James, but I don't want to completely spoil the illusion. Um, Also in the news, Jennifer Lawrence, who has been a little bit quiet for a while. She hasn't been on our screens very much, but she is coming back with a film about the Hollywood agent Sue Mengers, who was a massive, massive force in the 70s, kind of represented everybody who was anybody, and was a very, very huge personality herself. So that's kind of interesting casting. This is uh, Paolo Sorrentino calling uh, calling the shots, directing the film. I don't know, it's going to be interesting because like, she was a very attractive person, but she wasn't like movie star gorgeous, and she was a little bit hung up on the fact that she wasn't. So I don't know what movie star casting would have worked but it feels like Jennifer Lawrence mm. is maybe a bit too beautiful. Maybe. But maybe they'll just put giant 70s glasses on her and, you know, give her a perm. That, I think that's the way to go. That is the Hollywood, <laughs> universal Hollywood sign for making someone less attractive. Uh, giant glasses. or And or fringe and thick glasses. Pretty much. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm also interested uh, how they get her former clients to sort of sign off on some of the stories. Could be a litigation mm. minefield, that one. Speaking of Jennifer Lawrence and all things that she has done, you know the Hunger Games prequel movie, so we've got a start date for that. That's going to start shooting the first half of next year. Have hmm. you read the book for that? No. Is it good? Should I? I haven't read it either, but it's the... it's it's the, So the title of it is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And this is all about snow, isn't it? The the, the Donald Sutherland character. It's all about... It's like a, his... Origin story. I know how much Helen you love villain origin stories. Villain origins nailed super on great. for you. Yay. Um, so yes, it's it's all all to do with the President Snow. I mean, great. I guess I, I don't. I because again, having not read the book, I have no idea what to expect from this. I mean, the first three Hunger Games books were the same book done three times. So will this be the same book done a fourth time? Who knows? Or dares to dream? We'll find out. I mean, yeah, Rose obsessed guy becomes ultimate power in the US in a post-apocalyptic America, I suppose it could be interesting. Of course, it's always Christmas Eve. And of course, you can make good films about redeeming villains. Just on TV, I was talking to somebody yesterday about um, Cobra Kai. And I think that's a fantastic, fantastic way of, Mm. of turning the camera around and actually looking hard at a villain. But that's a guy who was just, you know, a bit of a shit when he's he was a teenager. You know, that's not a multi-murdering bastard. What works so well about that show, as we have discussed in detail on the Pilot TV podcast, not to mention the Pilot TV special we did on Cobra Kai, where I spoke to both Zabka and Macho about those roles. But I've made a huge mistake. Let's not get hung up on that, Helen. Uh, no, what works really well about that is because they stay true to the characters. Mm. Like, uh, Johnny is still a complete dick. Like, he's exactly who he was, but he's really funny and entertaining and you root for him because he's the underdog. Yeah. And then equally, Danielson is still the kind of, like, morally upstanding guy, but can be a bit of a douche in his own right because he's a little bit self-righteous and a little bit sanctimonious. And I think that's what works so well. And the feud, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's why I can get behind that one in a way Mm. that I maybe can't get behind to the same extent, you know, a Cruella or something, because you basically have to retcon the original story. Like Maleficent retconned the original story out of all recognition in order Mm. to make her redemption work. And you kind of end up having to do that because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. And this one, I don't see how you can retcon it. Um... He's just going to be, you know, a psycho. Yeah. Or just be, or something something bad will happen to him, Helen. Something traumatic will happen to him and turn him into a psycho. So it won't really be his fault. Like Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson's going to kill his mum and uh, and that's going to make him turn bad. With some Dalmatians. Yeah. Okay. That's what's going to happen. I guess so. In things that um, I keep harping on about, we also have news on Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. 
So John Lithgow has joined the cast. So this is a stacked cast. We've got DiCaprio, mm. De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, Jason Isbell, Pat Healy, Scott Shepard, like really, really good people all through. It's about a series of murders in the Osage Nation in the 1920s, one of the big cases that led to the formation of the modern FBI. I still don't understand where the budget is going because very, very high figures have been totted around for this film and, and literally you could make it for $5 million. Even with the cast's reported salaries, I still don't understand where the whole budget is going, but I'm fascinated to find out it's got to be the most amazing looking film ever made at this rate. And and obviously it's a Martin Scorsese film, so it's not going, exactly going to be bad, is it? 100%. So that is exciting as well. So yeah, it's okay. It's been a quiet news week, but there's a steady stream of some stuff going on. So I yeah. feel like that's good. It's been a quiet news week, I guess, unless you're a South Park fan, because we have 14 South Park movies coming our way. Did you read about this? I did not. So, Four, 14? Oh yeah. So Paramount Plus have done a deal with Trey Parker and Matt Stone for $900 million dollars to do another, I think it's like six seasons of South Park and 14, count them, 14 South Park movies for Paramount Plus. I mean, that's 14. more than Fast and Furious. I mean, what? Yeah. 14. 14 South Park movies. I mean, the world is not crying out for 14 South Park. I don't 14. care. I know there are people who still watch that show. I don't know who you are, but I know you're out there. No one needs 14 South Park movies. I put, I put that one, to now. One, four movies. Wow, yeah. that's a lot of South Park movies. a movie. lot of South Park. How many times can you kill Kenny? That's the question. I mean, at least 14 more, it seems like. Plus... How have they not done that, Helen? How have they not like done an episode in Kill Kenny? That seems to me like really first base tie-up <laughs> stuff. Maybe it's because that's Cartoon Saloon territory and they wouldn't be welcome. I know what's happening now. There are people listening to this going, oh, I think Yvonne Kinney is no longer in it or something like that. And I'm completely... I have not watched South Park for like 15 years, so bear with me. <laughs> Four, I'm 14? 14. 14. 14. 14 movies. I feel like, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off where Principal Rooney just keeps hearing nine times in his head. I've got the same thing. It's like 14 films. Exactly, 14. Just... I, mean, I know they are very fast at working. Like they can produce an episode of South Park in about five minutes and that's why it's very much, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. On, fresh and on the news and everything else. But 14 movies? 14 South Park. Christ, yeah. that's a lot of movies. Well, good luck to them. More power to their elbow. Mm. Uh, I hope they don't get repetitive strain because that's going to be a lot of movies right there. Okay, that's a way to wrap up the movie news. Just leaving us goggling at the idea of 14 movies? Like, do, right. you, do you make it all a, a running story? How does it work? Do you have, like, four trilogies and then two standalones? Is it like the Marvel Cinematic Universe with South Park characters? It could be. With, Miss, like, Mr. Hankey, origin story. I, I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm throwing out, like, the names of characters that I can remember. I'm pretty sure Chef's not in anymore. I've no idea. Yeah, there's some kind of the redemption of Satan, I guess, you know. This is the kind of deep dive knowledge that you can expect on the Pilot TV podcast, where we go <laughs> where other TV podcasts don't go and bring a real incisive insight and analysis uh, to things. They weren't the only people who got $900 million recently, were they? Because well, One um, of them wasn't me, I can tell you that. But. Well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure because otherwise I would be around there like hitting you up for cash. No, Reese Witherspoon also sold her production company for also for a reported $900 million. That's Hello Sunshine. And she has to make 14 Legally Blonde films? Like, how does this work? <laughs> well, of course, she's done uh, Little Fires Everywhere and Big Little Lies, among others. And so she has built up a, an incredible career as a producer. 
But still, like $900 million, that is, yeah. a, that's obviously the, the number that we need to aim for now when we're selling our brilliant script ideas uh, to Hollywood, which we often have on the podcast. If anyone would like to buy the Pilot TV podcast for $900 million, then please do drop me a line via DM on Twitter at James Hill. <laughs> O-N-O. <laughs> yes, O-N-O indeed. Someone goes, I have $9. <laughs> would consider. <laughs> All right, enough of this. Shall we have an interview? Yes. All right. So Jodie Comer, for it is she, first won hearts worldwide as a ruthless assassin and has become one of Hollywood's most in-demand actresses. This week, she is starring opposite Ryan Reynolds in Free Guy, where she is a games developer turned player who changes both of her worlds. We sent Chris along to find out more. And yes, doing all these interviews on top of all the podcasting and writing of the magazine is probably why he needs a break so much. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jodie. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in London. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In a, what about you? <laughs> in a blue room. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The void. <laughs> the blue void. <laughs> how's, the, uh, how's the blue void for you? Is it like staring into the abyss and the abyss is staring back at you? No, it's good. It's good vibes. Got all my snacks next to me. I'm <laughs> good it's to good, go. It's good vibes in the abyss. We love the abyss. Yeah. As long as you have snacks, you're fine. What have you got? What, what are your snacks? Mm. Um, I've got some love hearts. got a banana. got some grapes and some nuts. All right. So that's all the protein groups, sort of. That's, <laughs> that's all I eat, protein. <laughs> it's, a, it's a love hearts and banana sandwich. <laughs> yes. Have you ever done that? You should do that immediately no, after sounds, this interview's over. It just sounds do that. nicer than what I imagine it will be. <laughs> I imagine it'd be good because you got the, you know, I, I, I promise you, we'll, we'll talk about the film in a second, but uh, you get, uh, you, you know, you get the mulch of the banana, you get that banana taste, right? And then mm. you get the acidity. I see. I, I, I watch sweet. a lot of, I watch a lot of MasterChef. Then you get the acidity and the crunch of the love hearts, and they come through. I'll try it. I'll let you know. All right. Yeah, please do. Please do. Put it up on Instagram <laughs> if you do. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on things. Uh, <laughs> see how it's going. Uh, so you're, you're in London at the moment. Uh, I, was, I was wondering if you'd be in London or LA or Liverpool. I mean, are you finding yourself drawn between all those places at the moment? Uh, you know, here and there Not every really. single day? Yeah, no. I mean, less so than usual. Um, we're, I'm actually filming Killing Eve at the minute. So, okay. um, yeah, we're, we're shooting that in London. Um so yeah, I'm kind of in the kind of in the one place. Okay, so it's, uh, that that's nice. We're not filming Killing Eve right now. We're not part of this. Isn't part of Killing Eve right now? Is Maybe it? it's hard to tell. Better watch your back. <laughs> no, not now. I've got a little. We've got a little hiatus. Actually, we've just we've just finished the first two blocks, um, and we're now going on to episode five and six, which is crazy. Oh my god! And this I is know. it. This is the home stretch, right? This is it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I feel all of the emotions. I feel sad. I feel kind of content in a way because I think it's kind of nice to be able to know where we can where we can go with it. You know what I mean? There's, sometimes there's a danger of when it goes on and on and on that you then can't make kind of decisions because you're thinking about three seasons still to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can be a bit more dangerous and a bit more risque, I think. And but it's going to be so sad. I mean, it's been such a huge part of all of our lives. Yeah. Um, but we just want to make sure that we, you know, we give these characters kind of the best, the best end that we that yeah. we can. 
Absolutely. And it's also good to go out, I say, after four seasons or five seasons and, and yeah. just leave people wanting more and do that mic drop. You don't want that thing where it's like Killing Eve season 13 and people are like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's so true. The quality fades, you know, I mean, it's I mean, I feel like Ozark is like, I don't know what they're doing. I think it's Jason Bateman's magic juju. He that 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 series is I feel has got stronger and stronger. It's kind of incredible. But it's a tricky, it's a tricky formula, you know? Um and, and, and I you're absolutely right. Like you'd rather go out on a on a high note than than people kicking you out the door. Yeah. I mean the only thing that gets better and better uh, year on year is is obviously Coronation Street, right? I mean that's that's the only thing. <laughs> like every episode is better than the last. I used to love Coronation Street. I used to watch all of the soaps every every week with me mom. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Was it? Okay. Did you did you miss Brookside or were you were you did you overlap Brookside? I have Brookside? memories of being very very small and watching Brookside with with my nan. Um, the mm. good old days. Yeah. Um, but no, I was small. Yeah, that kind of finished quite early on, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, Sinbad and Bodies Sadly. under the yeah the patio. Yeah, bring back Brookside. That's what I say. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but but Killing Eve does bring us on to to Free Guy because I think it's fair to say that Killing Eve. I don't know if you would say this, but it changed your life and, and changed yeah. your career. Um, and that is something that brought Free Guy into your orbit. Because I imagine there's a, there's a point when Killing Eve really hits that you are being inundated with offers uh, to do to do movies. Uh, so how do, was that the case, first of all? If it was the case, how do you sift through all those offers and then decide to do... I love this, this. idea of me just sat in an office with like <laughs> piles and piles of offers that I'm just sifting through. Um, it wasn't like that. Right. However, what, what I appreciate and what Killing Eve really did enable was I feel like people just started to take me seriously. <laughs> like... You know, there was a lot of years of, not a lot of years, gosh, I'm being dramatic now. There's a couple of years of, yeah. you know, going to LA and doing a lot of general meetings and they can be kind of excruciating. You know, you might have four or five meetings a day of going into several different offices and you sit in front of someone and they have no idea who you are and you have to sell yourself for 10 minutes. And then, oh, God. you know, it's like, oh, we have, we will have maybe have this for you and blah, 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 blah. And, and nothing comes of it. And this, you were exerting so much energy in, in kind of doing that. So, and you know, it has to be done. It, it's one of those things. However, what I noticed about Killing Eve was, you know, she's such a wonderful character, Villanelle, and she allows me to show and explore so much that I think people could see many different sides of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it was just like, you know, then people wanting to start the conversation with me, which was really nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel very, very lucky. And yeah, and, and you know, and then and then Free Guy came about. Um, I got sent the script, and I had an initial chat with Sean on a on a FaceTime, and they were going to audition a few. I think they'd been auditioning for a, a while, but then they kind of maybe got down to like a final five, and then they kind of brought me in for the ride at the last minute. <laughs> um, and I flew the I flew to New York um, the day after finishing season two of Killing Eve. So it was all very crazy. And, um, oh, wow. Yeah. Did you know which way was up at that point? Because I imagine your head was still in Killing Eve land. Not, not really, which I think may have been a good thing, to be honest. Right. I think I was kind of, I was a little bit exhausted in, in a good way of just going, I'm gonna, I need to go here and I need to do a good job and just being kind of focused. 
you know, cause I was kind of in that rhythm of, of working. So it was probably, it was probably a good thing actually. Okay. Okay. So that meeting was that where you, you first met Ryan Rodney Reynolds or was yes. it? Yeah. Okay. The Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> he was lovely. He was, he was really, really lovely. Yeah. I also had that kind of thing of, you know, feeling like I've spent half of my life with him on screen and then meeting him in person and not wanting to say hi, Ryan and, and be like presumptuous as if I know him and we're kind of friends. Yeah. Um, I was like, should I, shouldn't I? But he was so friendly. Um, you know, he's everything you think he's going to be and more. So, yeah, he's been, he's been on the show a couple of times and he's, uh, I, I genuinely think, I mean, you know, he's obviously done pretty well for himself as an actor and mm. now football club owner as well, but he could <laughs> honestly have, if he had decided to do stand up, he could have been a world-class stand up. Yeah. So I imagine shooting with him is a, fairly riotous experience there's a lot of alts i'm guessing a lot of improv yeah yeah and i mean honestly i think probably the thing that stopped me from corpse and the most was just being amazed by him in in just kind of witnessing how fast his brain works and i know he does a lot of prep and but like every alt lands so well like you just know that when they got to the edit room they were probably sit there for a good few hours going which one do we go with yeah so to be around that is just it was so incredible and it creates a really easy fun atmosphere you know the Mm. set was so so joyous um and he sets the tone and so did sean sean levy our director they really set the tone for the whole shoot um it was it was gorgeous. It was such a gorgeous experience. And, and does that when you're when you're in a situation like that where you have lots of freedom, freedom guy, mm-hmm. and you have lots of improv, you know, because you, your character characters in, in, in this, <laughs> I guess you have to be a little bit more strict in terms of your approach to things, or do you get caught up in that as well and start riffing for your life? I definitely wasn't riffing, ripping, riffing, ripping, either ripping or riffing. <laughs> Nobody likes it when no. people start ripping on a on a movie set. That's that's bad. It's been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um, no, but I, what I will say is I definitely gained confidence as I went along. You know, there was a couple of moments nearer the end. Um, you know, a couple of scenes. Like there's a there's one moment where she's kind of shouting at the computer, and I remember Sean just kind of let the camera roll, and we j- I just kind of did a couple of a few different things, and Sean was like you go girl. And I was like, yeah, look at me doing a Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very much someone who like loves my script in front of, you know, not in front of me. I learn my lines. You'd like, you should probably know that. Yeah. You're um, not the Marlon Brando. You're not reading lines. No, off ashtrays and things. <laughs> no I'm not. Um, but I very much find comfort in that, you know? Um, so it was kind of fun to see everyone breaking the rules a little bit, but then realizing there are no rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it depends on the on the atmosphere, I think, or the set. What the what the job is, it depends on what the job. Yeah, because I, I imagine, for example, at the last duel, there's not a lot of ripping. Oh, I was or... riffing, riffing, <laughs> riffing everywhere. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, that was very much you know what's on the page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ridley, I'm, you know, let's do one take for you, and then yeah, ten yeah, takes yeah. for me. Yeah. Why don't you listen to me for this one? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think that would work. Yeah, Ridley, I've given you a whole bunch of faults. You just you just do what <laughs> yeah. you want. Sift, <laughs> sift through that. Um, 
And yeah, and 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 I, I know that there were there are suggestions, there are hints, there are rumors. You know, we're about to see the last duel in a in a in a, in a few weeks' time. Uh, but you in a few weeks? Few weeks, yeah. I mean, it feels like a few weeks. I don't know what is month it? it is anyway, Jody. Yeah, it feels like a few weeks. It is a few weeks, isn't Sounds it? Sounds very very soon. It's October? some well, I, October's yeah. a few weeks. We're August, we're August 7th. I guess 7th. so, I guess so, I guess so. I'm sorry, I stand corrected. No, 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 no. I, I, you might be right. Technically, that's two months. So therefore, is that a few weeks? It's just because I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm like, oh, a few weeks? Really? <laughs> All right, so that's, let's change it then. So in less than six months' time, we'll be seeing The Last Duel. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and there are rumours uh, running around, running around, that's what rumours do, that uh, Ewan and Ritters, as I like to call him, might be reuniting. Uh, can you say anything about that, about, about Napoleon yeah. and whatnot? Yeah, that's confirmed. It is confirmed. <laughs> Someone should tell yeah, the IMDb because it's not confirmed on there. Really? It's not confirmed Does it, on there. Is it still like the brackets rumoured? Let, let me just double check here. Uh, yep, says rumoured. Rumoured. Uh, no, it's, it's official. It came out. All right, um, good. Yeah, so hopefully maybe end of the year, start of next year. Okay. Um, I'm working on kit bag with him, with um, with Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, that's going to be amazing. Brain explodes. Yeah, I mean, I feel very nervous, excited. You know, I feel like, I just feel very lucky. You know, I think a, a huge thing for me is wanting to work with people who I admire um, and Joaquin is definitely one of them. So to be, you know, just to even think about doing doing scenes with him and working with him that closely is just so exciting to me. It's going to be wild. I don't know whether you saw, but last week, you know, that thing, Letters of Note, they do they do live events where they get they get uh, actors to come in and read out famous letters from, from luminaries over the years. And oh, there was wow. a series of letters between Napoleon and Josephine that were read out loud by Sanchev Bashkar and Miriam Margulies, of all oh, people. Oh, wow. Where you should go I and check that? it out. It's on, it's on the internet. It's on, if you go to, I think it's on the Letters Live webpage. I will. Check it Thank out because so it's, yeah. it's very funny, but also I think very insightful as well. So, Oh, great. Well, there's my homework. There you go. So I'm, all I'm saying is in a couple of years time, if there's any acceptance speeches going, then just remember <laughs> my name and just, and just throw, throw some plays my Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. And listen, I know I've got to let you go in a second, but I can't let you sit there in the big blue room, the big blue room of, of doom and yeah. uh, and not talk about football. And because I, I, obviously your dad works for... Everton is that is that yes. correct? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're you're an Evertonian, would you would you say? Of course. Do you think I could be anything else? Well, let's then we have a problem, don't we? But uh, so because I need to talk about Rafa, I want I want to get your because I'm I'm a liver I'm a Liverpool fan. I, I go oh, Liverpool. you're a Liverpool fan. I go to of Liverpool a lot. Of course you are. What do you mean? Of course I am. What what does that mean? <laughs> well, because Liverpool fans are everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Because you know we're we're you know successful. <laughs> you're the best. And, yeah, we're the best, you know. You know, the records speak for themselves. What can I say? But, uh, but uh, how how do you feel about Rafa Benitez as your manager and the whole ex Liverpool manager thing? I mean, what you need to know about me is that um, my dad likes to call me a glory hunter of a supporter. So, so I'm only I'm only around when the good stuff's happening. So, so you stopped in 1995. Oh, <laughs> I felt that. Um, you know, whenever there was a Wembley, me and my mama get dressed up. We go to Wembley, so yeah, my dad always um, kind of slates me for that. So I have very little opinion about this. 
right. I, my, my, the, my logical brain is like just because someone was a manager for a team doesn't mean the end of the world, right? right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the fan base would agree with that. I don't know. I'm very far removed from it. We shall How see. How do you feel about it? I'm okay with it. The man, the, you know, he you do whatever makes you happy. He he, it doesn't change anything. He's he's still he's still brought us lots of happiness. Times have moved on. If this makes him and his family happy, then so be it. <laughs> Very laissez faire. I'm open to everything. It's all good. It's all good. Well, well, listen, Jordi, I've got to let you go. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I hope that you're toasting Evertonian success in roughly another thirty years or so. And. Uh, yeah, hopefully I would be grey. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And best of luck with everything. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. It was so much fun. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, that was Jodie Comer. It probably means we should start with Free Guy, I guess. Certainly, Helen. We should absolutely do that. And I would like you to tell me whether I should go and see it because I wasn't able to go to the only screening this week. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I will then. Because I wasn't free, Guy, to go in and watch the film yeah yeah that's that's the joke that you made that's the one you went for so free guy this is the new big budget action comedy from director sean levy because that's what he does big budget action comedies not bad actually that's my headline review yeah i will go into a bit more detail so basically ryan reynolds stars as guy who is a teller in a bank he lives in free city he wakes up every morning he enjoys his life he goes to work he hangs up with his best friend he's played by lil rel harry from get out etc he's called buddy he is a buddy and everything is fine until this one day that he sees this mysterious woman walking down the street and she sparks something in him and he is obsessed. He, he follows her. He, he, you know, when he sees her again, he goes after her. He kind of steps out of his role in the game, basically, to try and find more about this woman. And of course, it turns out that she's Jodie Comer's character. She is Molotov girl in the game. And he puts on glasses. He discovers that he's in this game. All the, all the player characters wear these cool glasses and then you can see everything that's going on. You can see all the points and everything. So he basically, in order to win her, realizes he needs to quite literally level up and starts the process of leveling up in the game. Meanwhile, outside, of course, there's a whole thing about, you know, developers and you know, nefariousness mm. and uh, Taika Waititi is an incredibly obnoxious. And I, I cannot stress this enough. Imagine the most obnoxious man that even you have ever met, James, and then <laughs> multiply it by 10. And then you're close to the obnoxiousness of Taika's character here. So you're saying he's the hero of the film, Helen. OK, I'm starting to understand this now. Honestly, to you, yeah, I can't rule it out. I mean, he calls his game company Tsunami and he spells it S-O-O. Nami. <laughs> so even just Love. just there, I was like, wow, I'm out. You are terrible. You're a huge, hugely bad person. Yeah. So so basically, it's kind of a journey of self-discovery for Guy. And there are, you know, elements of the usual kind of Ryan Reynolds shtick, you know, the sort of Deadpool-esque mm. thing that he has. It's obviously a little bit more innocent and certainly a lot less R-rated than than that. But there is some of that kind of energy here. But what I liked is that it does try and do something different with that energy and it does try and push him in some slightly new directions. And it is a little bit more sincere, I think, and a little bit more heartfelt than a lot of that. And it does do some clever things in amid what I'm assured are Twitch cameos and a couple of genuine movie star cameos as well that I won't spoil. I mean, Helen, you are, of course, a famous gamer. 
So does this pander to gamers? Is it patronise gamers? Do you think gamers will like it? Or do you think they'll be like, huh, whatever? I don't know. Uh, I think, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I honest, I think they will like it, given what I've read and seen so far of reactions from it and, and friends that I've talked to who are much more knowledgeable about this. Even I was able to tell, oh, yes, that is riffing on World of Warcraft or that is riffing on Grand Ooh. Theft Auto or whatever. Mm. I would not be able to tell you which model of those games, but I realized that they are a kind of game that was being riffed on. OK, that's about yes. where my knowledge yeah. ends. OK, I get it. Yeah. And I think there are probably a lot more Easter eggs in there for proper gamers, again, who I am not, very much not. There are also genuine Twitch stars, I believe, on here. They had to be explained to me, but I was able to see just from context, I bet that's a real person who is really talking about video games in their day-to-day -day life. So there are those kind of people as well. If you get excited about that, this is the movie for you. I did have some issues with it. I did think it was a little bit uh, slow in the middle at times. I thought it maybe got a little bit overly complicated on, in a couple of cases. And there was a moment of very effective fan service that I loved that then almost immediately felt cynical and corporate synergistic in a way that I hated. Mm. So I was really very torn at a couple of places in this movie on that basis. But generally speaking, I was expecting very little and I enjoyed it quite a lot. And I That's did good. laugh quite a bit. So yeah, I think you'll probably like it and you will probably be able to come back here and tell me all of the... And explain all the jokes to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Mm. That car is taken from X game, which is very important because of Y character used to whatever in it, you know, that kind of I thing. See, my concern with this is like when I watched Ready Player One, my splainometer almost exploded during some <laughs> of the sequences because there were so many things for me to turn to Chris and explain to him, sort of James Splain across. So this just wasn't possible. No, you can't. I mean, because no. you haven't exp finished explaining one thing and the next thing. And then the on next screen. thing happens. Oh, it's a battle toad. But oh, but that's the gun from this. And oh, look, it's Halo. Oh, Christ. Yeah. yeah and th there's a couple of similar things here. Like you see this person's like garage with all of these things. And I bet mm. you're, you'll be sitting there going, well, that's from that game okay. and that's from that ooh, game. And ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. 100%. What do we give Free Guy, Helen? Well, I'm going to be honest. Nick reviewed this and he liked it a lot less than I did, um, even though we have many of the same comments about it, but he only gave it two stars. Two stars then. I am personally probably You think a three. it's a three guy, he thinks it's a two guy. Yeah. That doesn't work as well, though, does it? Two guy. No, no, not really. Um, but okay. anyway, but yeah, he, he sort of saw it as a Black Mirror-ish concept played for laughs and uh, that got, got a bit lost in its own code. I, I don't think that's entirely mm. unfair, but I enjoyed it a little bit more than that. So yeah, I would give it three stars. Okay, so next up we have Coda. James, what can you tell me about Coda? This is not Coda, but Coda, all caps. And that's not just because we're excited about it. This is to distinguish it, presumably, from the Patrick Stewart, Katie Holmes film of last year. This is, in fact, an acronym. Child of Deaf Adults is what it stands for. This comes from writer-director Sean Heeder. And this stars Amelia Jones, who people uh, who listen to the Bile TV podcast will, of course, know from Lock and Key, in which she is mm. excellent on Netflix. She is, yeah. Uh, the adaptation of the, uh, of the comic series. Uh, but she plays a 17-year-old called Ruby Rossi, and she is the only hearing member of a deaf family. Her mother is Joey Lucas, who you will remember from The West Wing, Oscar winner Marley Matlin. There we go. She does go by another name than Joey she Lucas. She does go by yes. another name, although I frankly, when Kenny is not translating for her, I just it freaks me out. I don't understand <laughs> that. But anyway, so we have Marley Matlin in there and Troy Kotzer in there as well as her parents, and they are fucking brilliant as a, a deaf and frankly very horny married couple. And genuinely, and this I'm going on a side thing here, but some of the hilarious ASL 
slash subtitling thing. I never thought I needed to know what the ASL for twat waffle was until I saw this film. But fuck <laughs> me, I absolutely did. And I'm very glad I did. And watching, watching him do the sign for asshole again, it's pretty explicit. And there's loads of comedy to mind from this. But anyway, I'm digressing. So her family, they're a blue collar family. She works on a fishing boat with her brother and her father during the day. And they sell their fish to kind of like this... Um, I guess it's like an auction house that then sells their fish to the public and they get ripped off horrifically. So on the one hand, you've got like a B-plot, which is them fighting against the man to sell their fish to the people and get what their fish is worth because they're being squeezed out of that job. And this is, you know, where most of her family sort of focuses and where her money troubles are. And then on the other hand, she's at school and as the only hearing member of a deaf family, she has a beautiful singing voice and she's really into music and she joins the choir. And her her choir master sees potential in her and thinks that maybe she has what it takes to get a musical scholarship. So in the and meantime, she has a crush on Miles, who's one of the popular kids at school, played by Ferdia Walsh-Pilo, uh, and she is doing a duet with him, which is obviously an excellent way for romance to blossom. But it's a lovely, it's a lovely, lovely story. And it has to be said, I do think Amelia Jones is wonderful in this. And this, it's a really warm-hearted film. The family dynamics are lovely. Just, you know, her being embarrassed when she brings Miles back to practice on singing and then the parents take the opportunity to give her a lecture about safe sex in front of him in sign language, which, again, is pretty fucking explicit. Uh, lots of comedy to mind from that. But you, like, the relationships that she has with her mother, with her father. Like, there's a real sense of affection between them and the dynamic between them where they're so immersed in deaf culture and she's the only hearing member, how she doesn't feel quite in sync with the rest of her family. There's a part where she's trying to study at the dinner table and obviously they're like making loads and loads of noise and she puts her headphones in to try and drown it out and her mother's like, that's rude. And she's like, but I can't concentrate. And it's that disconnect, isn't it? And when yeah. she says she's joining the choir and her mother just kind of rolls her eyes at it and it's like, well, if I was blind, would you want to be a painter? You know, because it's just like a teenage rebellion thing. So I found that really, really interesting. I like the fact that all of the deaf characters are played by non-hearing actors. I think it gives it a real authenticity. I just thought this was a lovely, lovely film. I think it's funny. I think it's feel-good. Ian Freer, who I respect enormously for all of his reviews, gave this three stars, which I felt was a little bit miserly. I would have probably given this four. Not because, and I imagine the reason he didn't is it's not like exactly groundbreaking. Do you know what I mean? It's The deaf angle certainly is, but in terms of the thrust of the plot, it's not exactly new. But it's lovely and it's cockle warming. And I mm. just, yeah, I had a really, really good time watching this. Yeah, I I really loved this film. I just thought it was super well done. And I I, I absolutely agree. I think the, the sort of almost culture clash between the, mm. the two parts of the family, between hearing and, and deaf people, was was brilliantly done. You know, there's there's a really heartbreaking moment where the the soundtrack goes silent and you get to experience a, a particular thing as the deaf characters do. And yeah. and it really actually I it really struck me and I find it very moving at times and it did make me cry a few times. And I just thought it was it had its heart absolutely in the right place. And it, and you can it had that sense of of sort of authenticity and care in its portrayal of of deaf characters by deaf actors you know and and if you've read a little bit about this film you know they even had to rethink sets and rethink props because you have to do certain things differently you have to have your hands free you have yeah. to be able to see the front door from the couch in the living room so you can't have it with its back to the door you know all of these kind of things that a, a production designer might not think about a cinematographer might mm. not think about might want some nice cool moody shadows and you can't have that because then you can't see the sign language and things like that i think 
it's a real step in the right direction to see a film like this be, you know, one of the most expensive films ever at Sundance in terms of the way it was picked up and in terms of the money paid for it. To see it getting hyped, to see it getting a build up, to see Apple TV paying a fortune for it. Mm. This is kind of the way forward because it does feel fresh and it does feel new and it feels like the conflict between these characters is earned and is realistic and comes from a genuine place. And that's because it's it's being authentic and it's being representative in a way that we don't always see. And I think that's, you know, it's the way of the future. Like if we're going to tell, frankly, the same old stories, mm. the same old genres all the time, we need more diverse people in them to give it something fresh and different. And mm. this one absolutely does that. So I loved it. I, I It's an easy four for me and, and might well edge upwards from there. Wow. Anyway... Onwards to our last film of the week, uh, which is The Courier. The Courier, the DHL story. <laughs> yeah, about the guy who put a package propped in my open window what? recently. Yeah, I went to close the window and something fell out. And I was like, I, what? And yeah, it turned out to be a package. That's so unorthodox. I would say positively unconventional, in fact, and, yes. and undesirable mm. also, frankly. Unacceptable, uh, possibly. <laughs> possibly even that. Anywho, this is not the DHL story. This is, of course, a story set at the height of the Cold War at the beginning of the 1960s. And a very high-ranking Russian official mm. gets word to the US that he is willing to get some information to them. He is worried about the direction that the Russian leadership is taking he wants to kind of stave off the danger of nuclear war. So he is willing to kind of leak some secrets. The problem is that the Americans get this message and then have to figure out a way of getting to this guy and getting information from him on a regular basis without the Russian government knowing what's going on because he is very highly placed. He is surveilled. He is under close attention. So they have to come up with something unconventional. And their answer is a British businessman called Greville Wynne, who's played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is sent on a mission to Moscow, not that one. Um, <laughs> to, it's a crossover. <laughs> to make contact with this guy. His name is Oleg uh, Penkovsky. He's played by Merab Nidze. I apologize for my pronunciation. That's terrible. So Wynne is sent to act as a go-between and he sets up a sort of trade mission to Russia, travels back and forth, is able to bring these secrets back with him. And of course, the danger and the tension and the threat of capture and interrogation and all the rest is ever present as a result. And this is, and it's like, and there's an unlikely friendship, I guess, that builds, like, and mm. in adversity and kind of that sort of thing that breeds a closeness. But you really get a sense of their building trust, their building friendship, and a real connection between these two men. And I think that's the heart of this. So it's funny, yeah. isn't it? Like it's a Cold War film, so by its very nature, it's a proper slow burn. You know, the only bombs you'll see going off in this are in old archive footage it is not an excitement <laughs> this is not you know like the new fast and the furious by any no, stretch this, this is closer to bridge of spies than it is to yeah, red sparrow yeah. it's a lot of it's a lot of, sort of like meeting in sort of darkened overpasses putting chalk marks on things hiding secrets and shaving foam and sticking them in toilets you know it's 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 spycraft but it's surprisingly tense because the stakes are super high for both these guys yeah. like it's 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 proper execution if they get caught and it does build, the tension builds as it goes on. And actually, it's one of these things, if you can kind of go with it and embrace the fact that it's going to be a very sort of slow burn, but tense kind of character-driven story about a period in history that I think you know, sometimes people do overlook how tense the mm. Cold War was, because this is all about the Cuban Missile Crisis, isn't it? That yeah. They're ultimately trying to avert the Cuban Missile Crisis. Spoiler, they do. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. No, uh, Kevin Costner and Bruce Greenwood did that in 13 uh, days. Yes, I've seen it. It took them 13 so. days to do it, though, Helen. So it clearly, wasn't that's true. Good. That's true. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I I enjoy this a lot. Again, storming performances from both uh, Cumberbatch and Ninids. I, I really love those two. I thought they were great mm. in this well. I, I do. I'm you know I want to give a big shout out to Jesse Butley as well, who plays uh, Cumberbatch's character, sort of wife, a little bit. You know, doesn't have an awful lot to do. But uh, no. what she does do, she does very, very well. Does it very well when mm. she does, yeah. And and also Rachel Brosnahan from uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm. who is, again, very good, maybe could have done with a couple more scenes, but, yeah. uh, you know, anybody in that role probably would have had a fairly supporting role, so it's probably okay. I mean, Rachel Brosnahan without her golden arm, Helen, is, is just not as good. <laughs> but no, it is, it is, um, it was it was entertaining, and it is very tense, mm. very slow burn, as you say, but it, it does keep you guessing. Unless you've read the Wikipedia page, please do yeah, not don't. read the Wikipedia page if you're planning on watching okay. this because Spoiler, it is a true story. World War Three doesn't actually happen. That's, uh, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh my God, you've spoiled it all, yeah, James. Yeah, God. It doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, so it's all, all directed by Dominic Cook. Well done. Very kind of sepia toned, very sort of, um, well, the traditional Cold War sort of greys and browns and mud colours. But he does find some ways to make winds stick out in Moscow and kind of make him spottable amid the you know, crowds of Soviet drones. So I thought that worked quite well. But yeah, um, Chris called it an anti-bond in his review. But there is real drama in, as you say, the friendship and the tension uh, as these two go about their mission. So we gave this four stars. Four Soviet stars. Is that is that different from <laughs> capitalist stars? They have little sickles in the background. Do um, they get to, all right, they get to, they get to share their stars yeah. instead of them all being hoarded by three people worldwide. That's what happens. Everyone involved gets the stars and they share out between them. So four stars then for The Courier, uh, making it officially our film of the week, even though my personal film of the week is Coda. Same. Um, there you go, I'm saying it. But that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Do join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Neve Algar to talk about censor, unless somebody stops us, because eh, censorship. And Asim Chaudhry to talk people just do nothing Big in Japan. Until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James. Goodbye, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> so many goodbyes to say right Bye. now. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to take one of those Soviet stars and give it to Koda. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.